and also the note that during the summer months that we have been looking at the, Luke's gospel in particular, chapters 15, we're going to go up to chapter 18 uh, throughout the summer. And so before we read our passage, though, uh, it's good to have a couple points of context to help us understand what's happening here, to kind of catch us up if you haven't been here worshiping with us the last couple of weeks. The first thing to give us some context for our passage is that Jesus has been teaching through a series of parables. At this point, at the end of chapter 16, he has told five parables, five stories in a row. And maybe you're familiar with a parable. A parable is kind of a story that has a moral or a meaning that points us towards who God is and kind of the nature of the spiritual life. And parables often have kind of an invitation into a story that then takes a turn or twist that makes us see things in a new way. So the first thing to know is that Jesus has been teaching through a series of parables. And the second point of context for us is that he is directing four out of five of these parables have been directed to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were like uh, religious insiders, if you will, kind of the religiously strong, those who were connected in the religious life. And he has told five out of five, five, four out of five of these parables to these religiously strong leaders. And that's important because the context of this section of Luke is that Luke is telling us as Jesus is going to Jerusalem and as Jesus is teaching, kind of three different groups appear. One group is the crowds, those who are interested in Jesus, find him fascinating, but don't follow up with any type of faith. And then there's the disciples, those who see Jesus and hear him and put their faith in him, follow him. And then there's the Pharisees, the religious leaders, whose primary response against Jesus is anger and criticism that Jesus is all wrong in what he's doing and saying. And so the parables, these stories, are a way to invite the Pharisees to see anew. Jesus told three of the stories about being lost, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And he told them to the the Pharisees, these really strong people, because they were grumbling that Jesus welcomed sinners. Jesus was willing to spend time with the wrong type of people. And so he tells the arrogant religious leaders these stories about how God delights in finding the lost and welcoming home sinners. Again, in this passage this morning, the Pharisees were grumbling against Jesus that what he said was not true and He was misleading people, and so now he tells them the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And what I hope that we can see this morning is that Jesus tells this story as a way to disrupt the certainty of the strong. Maybe you can relate to the Pharisees, but the Pharisees, they were the ones, they knew what they believed. They knew what they were supposed to do. They were certain that they were on the right path, and they were certain they could point out those who were not on the right path. And Jesus tells a story to disrupt their certainty. So let's read our passage this morning. This is Luke 16, verse 19 through 31. It's printed in your order of worship, or you can follow in your Bible. This is Jesus teaching. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. 
Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your, you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for gathering us here this morning, and we pray that you would bless us and be present by your Spirit, that we may hear your word, and that it may bring light to us, that we may turn and walk in ways that are true, leaving behind false hopes and false paths. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, what I want us to do this morning is kind of have two questions that we're going to look at in our sermon. The first one is, what is this story saying? What's the story? And so we'll look at the story that Jesus tells. And the second is, why does he tell it? And as we ask that why, we'll look at some of the application or some of the observations for our own lives. So first, what is this story? What is that Jesus tells us, and we can make a number of observations about the story. It's an interesting story, but I want to make one significant note for us to dwell on is that there are parallel descriptions between two characters, between the rich man and Lazarus. This parallel comparison is described both in their life and in their death. In life, the social distinction between the rich man and Lazarus is symbolized by a gate a property gate. On one side of the gate is the rich man. And Jesus tells us about him through cultural terms of, of extravagant wealth. And on the other side of the gate is Lazarus, presented as an invisible, invisible member of society at the, at the lowest of the hierarchy. And in three sentences, you might notice, three sentences, Jesus paints this vivid comparison between the rich man and Lazarus, starting with their clothing. The rich man is dressed in purple and fine linen. The fact that this fine linen is purple in that day would say that he was of the elite of the elite. Great wealth. For Lazarus, on the other hand, there is no mention of his clothes. Instead, he is covered in sores, visibly in need, socially unclean. The next parallel category is the place of abode. As mentioned, this wealthy man has a gate, <laughs> might seem a minor point, but it points to the fact that he has not just a house, but a large house, an estate of some kind. 
And what about Lazarus? Jesus says he has no home. Rather, he has been set at the gates of the wealthy man, possibly saying that Lazarus is ill or that he's crippled, that this one has no place to rest his head, no place to rest his body except the front steps, the front gate of someone else's home. And Jesus also compares them through the food the two eat. Jesus says that on a daily basis, this rich man hosts a meal of banquet proportions, an extravagant meal every day. In contrast, Lazarus is hungry. He has no food. He does not long to be part of the rich man's table, for that is too much to even imagine. What he longs for is for the scraps that had fallen off the table, the, the pieces of food that would be thrown away or given to the dogs. And this parallel that Jesus is telling us in the story includes the end of life. The rich man receives burial, but no such detail is mentioned for Lazarus. That rich man is honored in his death, but at death Lazarus receives the final disgrace, no one to bury him. And so what happens as the story goes on, we see that the actual the parallel continues, but in now a drastic reversal. The parallel of the rich man and Lazarus, the story is a remarkable change. You see, Lazarus is carried by the angels to Abraham's side, a way of saying to the, the place of faith, to Abraham, the father of faith, to the place of God's people. Lazarus is carried there, but the rich man finds himself in torment. No longer separated by a gate, the two are now separated by a great chasm. On one side is the one whose only companions were scavenger dogs. He's now carried to Abraham's side. Lazarus, who suffered the deep humiliation and rejection of dogs, licking his sores. A disturbing image, right? But this one is now pictured as sitting at the banquet table of God. Not only a seat, but at Abraham's side, at a place of honor, an honored guest. Lazarus, the poor, hungry, broken outsider, is carried to the table of God where he sits in God's honored spot. But on the other side of the chasm is the rich man. The rich man was buried, and we can imagine it was an impressive funeral, important people, proper mourning, respectful burial and religious activities. But Jesus tells us that this rich man now finds himself suffering, separated from God's table by a great chasm. I don't know if you've heard that story before. This is a new story that you hear Jesus telling us. But after hearing it, I want us to ask, why does Jesus tell this parable? Why does he tell this story? And there's two parts that I want us to hear for the rest of our time, two kind of applications or things for us to consider in our own hearts and our lives. The, the first one is that Jesus tells this story to the Pharisees, but to us, to disrupt our certainty, to disrupt their certainty that we may find our refuge in God's grace, our refuge in the person of Jesus. I saw a story on CNN earlier this week, and maybe you saw it as well, but it was a story about a mom who went to get a cake made for her daughter, and her daughter loved the movie Moana. Maybe some of you know Moana. It is this Disney movie about a Polynesian village and a 
a girl named Moana who's called to the sea and goes out in an adventure in a boat. I won't go any more details than that. I could if you wanted them. But, uh, um, but the mom ordered a cake about Moana and then went back later to pick up this birthday cake for her daughter. And when she opened the box, instead of there being images of Disney movies, it was a white cake with a marijuana leaf in green on top of the cake. She asked right away what had happened, and the baker said that he thought she had said she wanted a marijuana cake, not a Moana cake. So just uh, somehow that made the news on CNN, but it was a good story, interesting. But if you can picture this woman, you know, opening the box and all of a sudden being very startled by what she sees, it might sound like a strange, why am I telling you that, right? But if you can picture that, I, I think that's part of what's happening with these Pharisees, these ones who are used to being on the inside. They keep talking to Jesus and asking him questions, and he keeps telling them stories, and the stories are compelling. It's almost as if they're drawn in, and then they get to the part where they expect what's going to happen, but it's like opening the box, and suddenly something very different has happened. Now, in this case, obviously, Jesus is not making a mistake. Jesus didn't accidentally do something that was not wanted. Jesus is intentionally disrupting the strong, the certain. And he's wanting them to think, and for us as well, where we place our refuge, where we seek a shelter for our life. And as part of what that change of expectation was part of like kind of opening that box and finding something unexpected for the Pharisees was this contrast in the story between how, what God desired and the rich man. Maybe that's one of the things you might have noticed. There's a contrast, not just between Lazarus and the rich man, but a contrast between God and this rich man. Think about it. The rich man never asks Lazarus to one of his daily banquets. Yet Lazarus is the guest of honor at God's table. The rich man is celebrated in his society as elite, but God judges this rich man as unfaithful, living on a false hope and not part of his table. This poor man, invisible to society, receives a name in our story. He is Lazarus. God knows him. It's very significant in the scriptures when someone receives a name. He is known, but meanwhile, this secure rich man is not named is not known. And this story that Jesus tells us to disrupt us or kind of change what we expect, it's not random. Like I said, it's not an accident, but rather it's a narrative that expresses much of what Jesus has been teaching. Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, we heard Jesus say, blessed are the poor, but woe to you who have all that you want. In addition, he says, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And Jesus goes on to say, it is possible to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your very selves. This dramatic reversal calls into question our evaluations, our categories for success, how we understand how life should be measured. And the reversal tells us about the gospel of grace. And I hope that you can hear this good news, that life in God, that life that is true life, is not based in your strength, not based in my strength, not based in our becoming first, but rather the way of Christ, that Christ has been proclaiming and modeling and how he treats people is the way of reversal, 
The way of life is being lifted up by God. See, what does the kingdom of God look like? In the previous chapter, in chapter 15, we find out it looks like a lost, rebellious son, covered in shame and wastefulness, coming home in his shame, but being received in love and welcomed by his father, being declared again, you are my child, my son. What does the kingdom look like? It looks like Lazarus, the broken outsider, being carried to the table of God as a guest of honor. Those at God's table through Jesus are the forgiven ones, the lifted up ones, the broken ones who have been healed and restored. This is the good news for us to hear today. The table of God is set not for those who are first, but it's set for those who are broken sinners and poor outsiders. Now, we might be familiar with that, or we might even find it compelling, the subject of our faith. But if you're like me, and if we look in our hearts, we want to be the strong ones. Right? We want to be the ones who have it all under control. We want to be the ones who can take care of ourselves to be the first ones. And for the Pharisees, those who are hearing this story from Jesus... They were convinced that they, could, they were keeping the right rules. They were fulfilling the right religious practices, that they were the better ones. And so Jesus is questioning their certainty because he wants to invite them and us to a better certainty. Certainty, certainty is a desire for all of us. We look for it, we long for it, the sense that we are okay. Maybe one way to think about this is in the moments of stress or the moments of comparison with others, kind of where do we go in our hearts or in our conversations to get the sense that I'm okay? I'm okay. I'm, I'm just as good as that person or I'm even better. Things are going to be okay. And God offers to us himself as a refuge, a place of shelter, but often we look to ourselves or elsewhere for our certainty and it can be all sorts of things, right? It can be obviously money or a retirement plan. It could be being in the right school for our kids or being in the right school or having the right grades. It could be having the right title. It could be how we appear. It could be keeping the right rules, whether they're religious rules or social expectations. The list could go on and on. Here in our, our story, Jesus is tapping into wealth. Wealth tells me that things are okay. But Jesus, in his grace to the, to the Pharisees, those who have grumbled against him, even in his grace, he wants to invite them to something better. He wants to invite you and I to disrupt our certainty that we might find refuge in his grace to us. So the first thing is that Jesus invites us to find shelter in his grace, to repent of the other false certainties. The second thing and the last thing that we'll look at this morning is that this story is about the question, do we see? Do we hear? Jesus has disrupted the certainty, but he also wants to ask, what are we going to do? Where do we see what he is showing? Do we hear what he's saying? Jesus tells the story to open hearts and open minds. The rich man did not see, 
And he worries about his brothers. Will they hear? Will they see? I recently came across an article called Love in the Age of Information Overload. Love in the Age of Information Overload. And the author argues that love is intimately connected to attention. To attention. If you're like me, you're thinking, uh oh, uh oh, <laughs> that might not be good. One possible definition of love, the author writes, is committed attending. Committed attending to something or to someone is how we show love. And the problem, the article says, is that in our current culture, we face information coming at us at lightning speed. Less time to assess, less time to put things together, less time to make sense of it. He uses the image of Tetris, or maybe some of you can remember that game of blocks coming down. We have to find a place where the blocks can land, or maybe the game Tintin. You have to make sure you put the blocks in the right spots. He says that we have struggle time, having a hard time even finding attention to make things connect in our life. And this information overload, our our attention is distracted by phones or just by anything that's coming upon us. And so we can ask, what receives our attention? Where do I direct my intent to be committed? But technology isn't the only thing that can disrupt our attention. It's not the only thing that makes it hard for us to pay focus on something. It might be unique to our culture, but you see in this passage that money, that wealth, that luxury, these things for this rich man were making it so that he could not see and he could not hear. The rich man does not give any attention to Lazarus. It does not sound like he gives any attention to the Word of God. And the life the rich man did not see now in this conversation with Abraham, even after death, it seems like he still doesn't really see. Do you see how he talks? He assumes that Abraham is still his father and that Lazarus, whom he knows by name but never helped, he assumes that Lazarus is there to run an errand for him. To call Abraham father is to be one of faith, to seek refuge in God and God's promise. Abraham is the father of faith for all those who trust in the promise of God. And the address of this rich man is ironic because Abraham, as part of his faith, was a model of hospitality a model this man has not followed with regard to Lazarus. And the one who now requests mercy at the hand of Lazarus seemed to never have contemplated a merciful act of giving to Lazarus. And what Jesus, I think, is saying is that his wealth has made him hard-hearted and insensitive to Lazarus, his neighbor, and to God's law. And so the rich man, realizing his situation, eventually calls out and asks, then I beg you, send Lazarus to my father's house that he can warn my five brothers. Abraham's response is, they have the word of God, Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. The rich man is concerned that they won't be listening to the prophets or Moses, and so he asks for someone from the dead. And Abraham says, even if someone from the dead comes, they will not listen. Who are these brothers? Who are these five? 
Or there anyone outside the story? There are the Pharisees who are listening, and they're you and me. That's our role in the story. Will we hear Jesus' story and allow it to move the way we see and think and hear? We allow Jesus to invite us to himself. You see, when Jesus presents these things, Jesus is the living word, the word of God in flesh. And he is the one who will rise from the dead and come back. And therefore, that's why God says, listen to my son, Jesus. Listen to him. Who are the brothers? They're us. And the question is whether we will hear or not. There is a deep connection between receiving grace and giving it. There's a deep connection between receiving God's hospitality and offering it to someone else. To see and hear today means confessing that our place at God's table rests in God's actions for us. Our place at God's table and His family is not because we're first or because of what we promise to do or what we will do in the, down the road or what we've done. Our place at the table is because of God's grace to us to lift us up, to forgive our sins, to show hospitality and welcome to us. And then that welcome that we are to welcome one another. And so Jesus wants us to know today, do we see, do we know that hospitality of God? And are we willing to share it with one another? Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth that you speak to us. We pray, Lord, that this story of rich man Lazarus would move in our hearts, that we would think again about our wealth and about our resources, think again about where we place our certainty and our refuge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.